Test, test, check, check, one, two.
Good. All right, folks, I got everyone's attention over here. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So before I turn the microphone over to our main event this evening, I just want to say a few words of thanks on behalf of Laura Gregory and myself. First, to everyone who helped make 3L Week a huge success. Uh, from trivia night to the softball tournament to today's charge to the class, Laura and I are just so incredibly grateful to those who helped us plan those events and to those who came out to celebrate uh, what I'm sure is a bittersweet end to our law school careers. Second, I want to give even bigger thanks to the 89.7% of you who have participated in our class pledge drive <laughs> so far. <laughs> uh, the Law School Foundation has been thrilled by the immense support you guys have shown um, as you reminisce about what has meant most to you over your time here and as you prepare to leave and embark on all kinds of legal adventures. Uh, the last day for the pledge drive is tomorrow, so if you haven't pledged yourself or if you know someone who hasn't pledged, please encourage them to do so. We are just one pledge away from beating the class of 2017. <laughs> with that, <laughs> with that, I'm honored this evening to introduce our charge to the class speaker, though she needs none as you voted overwhelmingly for her to be here to give us our final send-off today. Between teaching 1L torts to sections C and G, teaching many more of you, <laughs> <laughs> teaching many more of you in her wide array of upper-level courses and serving as our new vice dean, she has undoubtedly shaped the experiences of many of you in the room today. Her other achievements are far too numerous to list, so please simply join me in welcoming Vice Dean Leslie Kendrick. Good people of the class of 2018, Hello. Thank you very much for your invitation to be here today. It means more to me than I can say. Some of you had me for torts, as we were just talking about. And you know that I like to have periodic talks about decisions facing law students, such as what classes you should take, be that evidence or law, dragons, and the law. The answer may surprise you, actually. Or whether and what, under what circumstances you should dress like an Easter egg. This will be our last talk for some time. Until you come back as an alum and all of your professors and I welcome you back with open arms to hear everything that you've been up to. So this one needs to last us for a while. So it's time for our talk about life and death. <laughs> and that, that calls for a drink. Kind of Harrison style only with alcohol. <laughs> and it, it's not just because, it's not just because I'm a torch professor and life and death is what all the cases are about. It's because it's what we all have in common. We're given a brief time here and then it's on to that undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. All we can do is make our time here count. All we can do is decide how we want to live. This was true for you before you came a law student, and as you leave here, it's true for you now. It's the biggest fact pattern of all time, and it's the only one that matters. How will you answer the eternal questions, how is it that you live, and what is it you do? 
before Mike and I went to law school, we studied other things, classics and English and philosophy. And those fields have explicit conversations about the meaning of life. What constitutes the good life is a major philosophical question. Meanwhile, I spent all my time reading about imaginary things, but the ways they engaged those questions were real and life-changing. I wrote a thesis once about Samuel Johnson, the man who wrote the dictionary, <laughs> and the Roman poet Horace. Now, Johnson was not a lawyer, but he was kind of lawyer-like in temperament, kind of anxious and obsessive. <laughs> and he drew on Horace's poetry, which is where the phrase carpe diem comes from, that comes from one of Horace's odes. He drew on Horace for wisdom on what it means to live well and how urgent a question that is. When I came to law school, the focus shifted. I learned much more about the mechanics of life and death, everything from when does life begin and the law of reproductive technology to what constitutes wrongful death and also how to execute a will or trust, how life insurance works, how to create estates and future interests. Although on that last one, learn it well enough for the bar, and then call your friend who becomes a trust and estates lawyer. <laughs> Don't try to do it yourself. It's easy to say that the law has a more transactional approach to these big questions, a more getting and spending approach to life and death. But I don't think that's right. As I think about my short time here, and as I watch you living your lives, I find lessons in the law, in what we do here, lessons that help me understand how to answer those questions. How is it that you live, and what is it you do? First, serve others and do it with integrity. One answer to the question of how to live is to think about serving others. Law is a service profession. That is not just a synonym for a white collar job. It means we serve other people. As a lawyer, you can help someone launch the business of their dreams, patent the invention of a lifetime, transform their lives. You can also help those whose lives are damaged or broken. It may lie in your hands to solve their problems, or at least to improve their situation a tiny bit. Lawyers serve others. And lawyers serve others from within a particular ethical framework. Many jobs come with role-based obligations, but the law comes with an entire body of professional ethics that defines our obligations to our clients, to others, and to the profession. It is from within this framework that we serve others. You already know all this. Collectively, during law school, you have logged thousands of pro bono hours. You have devoted probably an equal amount of time to student organizations that serve this community. And let it not be forgotten, you have spent an enormous amount of time studying and learning the law so that you can understand it, the profession and its standards and explore all the various areas where you might deploy your expertise to the service of others. So as you try to define how you want to live, ask yourself, whom should I serve? What should I serve? And what principles should I adhere to when I do it? Next, we know from the law that facts matter. The law teaches us this. Facts matter. Circumstances matter. It's true in cases, and it's true in life. Maybe your ideal life would be sitting on a beach drinking rum drinks. <laughs> Maybe that's the meaning of life to you in an ideal world. And I have to say, it sounds pretty good. <laughs> Just unwind relaxing. Sounds excellent. Do you ever find yourself looking back fondly to the days when Kesha spelled her name with a dollar sign? <laughs> Remember that? 
just feels like a happier time. But that's not the world that we live in. The facts are different. And how you should live and what you should do depends on what the facts are and how you decide to respond to them. We live in serious times. In our community, in this country, and in the world, grave matters demand your attention and your care. It's up to you to decide, what am I called to do under these circumstances? What should my life be given these facts? You've done this here, all of you. You've risen to circumstances seen and unforeseen, problems welcome and unbidden. Out of the rock face of the circumstances presented, we must all rough hew a meaningful life. Maybe it will not look as you planned it, but you will have made meaning with what you were given. And that is a life well lived. Finally, I can't predict all the opportunities and trials you'll encounter. No one can, and therein lies a challenge. It is an experiment, as all life is an experiment. But I can say you leave here equipped with a set of analytical tools. You have learned to think like a lawyer. You worked hard to learn how to think like a lawyer. I watched the process unfold from the first day of law school, which involved your first exam, for those of you in my course <laughs> class. You're welcome. <laughs> Through the whole first year, to the mature legal thinkers you are today. You worked hard for that, and I can tell you, you will carry that set of tools with you everywhere you go, whether you are practicing law or engaging in other pursuits. You will forever be the lawyer in the room, and that's a good thing. You should embrace it. In making decisions about how to live, use your tools. What's material and probative to this decision? What is, as we are fond of saying, dispositive? In the same way that you learn to read for the holding of a case, you can ask, what is the takeaway from this interaction? What did I learn from this situation? What does it stand for in the common law of my life? Because life is not a code-based system. It is new situations, new challenges, new experiences to which you must apply your values. Nobody puts this better than one great legal thinker, Rush Howell, UVA class of 2006, UVA law class of 2006, who once said in one of the best libel shows ever, and I'm not biased, <laughs> you don't go to law school to learn black letter law. You go to law school to learn how to think better. And in so doing, you learn how to better think about yourself. To which the reply in the sketch was, you're damn right. <laughs> and yes, that is damn right. You leave here better able to think about yourself. So I must send you on your way. I do so on behalf of all my colleagues who've watched you grow, face challenges, and thrive. I do so hoping you know that we will welcome you back here anytime with open arms, anytime you choose to return to us. And I do so leaving you with these words from Learned Hand. They're the final paragraph of the final lecture he gave at his alma mater, and I share them with you in what will soon be yours. More years ago than I like now to remember, I sat in this building and listened to Yes, more than that was dissected by men all but one of whom are now dead. What I got from them was not alone the rule in Shelley's case, or what was one's duty to an invited person, or what law determined whether a contract had been made, or how inadequate was the common law of partnership before the advent of Corian accounts, or in what jurisdictions a corporation is present. True, I did get those so far as I was able to absorb them, 
But I got much more. I carried away the impress of a band of devoted scholars, patient, considerate, courteous, and kindly, whom nothing could daunt and nothing could bribe. The memory of those men has been with me ever since. Again and again, they have helped me when the labor seemed heavy, the test seemed trivial, and the confusion seemed indecipherable. From them, I learned that it is as craftsmen that we get our satisfactions and our pay. In the universe of truth, they lived by the sword. They asked no quarter of absolutes, and they gave none. Go ye and do likewise.